Good morning. Let me just say, it is awesome to uh, see so many of you back today. And I know there's still a number of those that are sheltering in place with us. And uh, we want to welcome uh, them as well. But it is just great to see you guys and gals. It's a little hard for me to tell who some of you are because some of you are really masked up. But uh, I'm going to invite you today to grab your Bibles. God has given us this unique little window. I mean, a special little window, a window where God's teaching us some things, and it's not in big masses, it's not in this epic proportion in terms of population, boom, it's in these little quiet pockets of gathering like we have this morning, and for those that are zooming in with us and online and all that other mess, uh, everybody in the staff tells me uh, that I'm the most... uh, computer illiterate human being that they've ever met but uh, I I know that there have been these incredible moments that uh, different people have called me about emailed me about text me about and said you know man just what what a blessing uh, to be able to come in and worship in, in a digital fashion but without exception they tell me almost every single time but pastor we want you to know this it's not like being there And so I just want to let those know at home today that uh, our numbers continue to grow. And over the next couple weeks, we still are on a path to be able to open up both services on the 31st of May. That'd be the first summer Sunday. And uh, we we think by having both venues open, that'll give us some additional spacing and additional opportunity. And uh, all you need is a mask, willingness to wash your hands, willingness to not to hug. And uh, that's hard, isn't it? That is so very difficult. Well, today, uh, I want to talk to you about something that's intensely personal to me. It's intensely personal to me because much of my life is devoted to it. Much of my life is devoted to dealing with people in those moments that they have to deal with death. And, uh, you know, in this society in which we live in today... Every single day, I don't know about you, but one of the first things I look at at the end of the close of each day is what? How many people died today? I've never really looked at that a lot before in past years, but now I look at the U.S. death count. I look at the death count in Gregg County, Texas. I look at the death count in Texas. I take a glance and wonder, why is Nacogdoches County one of the epic hot spots just one hour south of us. I wonder about other counties that seem to go unscathed. But you know, we live in a day and time that death says so much to us because we know each and every moment that we see those numbers, we know that a family's life has been changed. And an individual stopped in the existence of this world and have moved on somewhere. Or have they? And that really seems to be the resounding question that Job is going to ask. Now today, I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to 11. Chapter 11 in the book of Job. And I'm only going to have time today speaking about four chapters. Can you believe that? Look to your neighbor and say, can you believe? Just hold up the numbers four, okay? He's going to talk about four chapters. And we already know, Pastor Mike, it's going to take him at least 16 hours to do those four chapters. But all I'm going to be able to do is give you just a taste of four amazing chapters. And it's these kind of lessons that God is teaching us in the middle of a national pandemic in little pockets of people 
of what we see today. Little pockets of people that are sitting at home today, YouTubing on their big TV, <laughs> sitting by a computer with a Bible. And so I'm going to invite you today, we're going to be looking quickly at chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14. I just remind you that there are three of these dialogue sets that go on between Job's three friends and Job then has a response. In other words, the three friends will weigh in, they'll tell Job some things, and then Job will fire back. And then the three friends will fire back up. And then everything will stop and Job will give his response. And then as we see, as we continue our study, there'll be a third round of dialogue. The three friends talk to Job again about all the issues that he has going on in his life. They're the guys that are trying to decipher why all these horrible things. What horrible things? Well, ten, ten funerals, ten caskets, ten headstones. Seven of his boys and three of his girls are laid out there somewhere in a prairie near his home. Well, oh, no. Not near his home. Why would that be? Because his home is gone. All the livestock that have covered the hills, they're gone. And now we know he's sitting on some ash heap. We'll see that reference today. Scraping himself with pottery because he's itching. From head to toe, he has this human affliction. And we know that one of the things on Job's mind at this moment is, hey, with this much natural infection in the body... I know what's going to happen. I'm about to die. And with that moment, we, we have the opportunity to come and to peek in, to take a little look-see, to listen at what these three friends are leveling at Job. We know Job's wife has already said, why don't you just curse this God, this God that you worship down at First Baptist Church of wherever it is. Why don't you, in this moment, aren't ten children being gone enough for you to curse him? Aren't thousands of sheep and oxen? I mean, isn't the devastation of our home enough? Isn't the fact that three friends have weighed in and said it's our sin that has caused this? Isn't that enough for you finally just to throw up your hands, hubby, and say, you know what? I just curse and disown this God. But I just keep remembering at the start of this amazing book of Job, God's incredible words to Satan himself. Here is my man Job. Now he's not sinless, he's not spotless and perfect, but he is blameless. He's a righteous man and he walks upright. And I remember that counter response from Satan to our holy God. Oh yeah, he's upright. I mean, yeah, look at all you've given him. And God says, well, why don't you just take it from him and let's see how faithful he will really be. And we know in that moment, Job stood firm. He lost everything except his life. And he still stood firm for our Lord and Savior. And so Satan did the only thing he could. He came back with his last effort. Well, you let me take his life and his health, and he'll surely curse you. And God says, hey, you take his health all you want to, but you'll not take his natural life. And it reminded us that God had control even in that moment, and that Job was a test case. Really, when we get to the end of this book, I'm going to talk to you about this subject. Will a man or a woman serve God for nothing? That's really what this is all about. 
Will we serve God for nothing when he will not honor and put blessings in our life and sustain certain things that we seem to need in our life? I mean, when, every, I mean, when the wheels come off of life, will we still serve him? And that's the challenge for us. Now today, 11, 12, 13, and 14, and what I want you to see, first of all, just a sample. That's all we'll have time to do. In, in a few minutes, uh, we're going to go have lunch. Don't know where I'm going to have lunch. That's up to my wife. She makes that decision. Uh, until she gets those moments to say, well, I picked the last 26 Sundays. You decide where we're going to eat today. And anything's game except if I use the words home, okay? I anything else is pretty much acceptable. But in doing so, uh, I'm not going to go in today and say, hey, I, I just want a small appetizer. I'm going to look on the menu and find something that's going to feed me. Let the big dog eat. And so, but all I'm going to be able to offer you today is just a sample. Let's look first, chapter 11. We have the finishing up of the three friends in this dialogue. In this course of the three friends sharing, we come to chapter 11 and we see one of the friends, we identified them over the last couple of weeks. In this particular case, it is Zophar. I remind you that Zophar was the legalist. He was the very one that time and time again spoke out of a voice of orthodoxy. Legalism was always his answer. And can I just suggest to you, and this is so very important, if, if you don't get much of anything else this morning, will you get this? It's significant for you and I to remember that mostly it is in loss, L-O-S-S, that teaches us about the real value and worth of things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I really never thought too much about hugging folks and standing out in the foyer. Last week in staff meeting, you know, we talked about the fact that everybody was worshiping last week. did so good until you got ready to leave. Then when you got ready to leave, you did what you naturally do. You pile up, congregate somewhere, start to get too close, start to reach out to, no, 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 don't touch. And so today we have a little plan for you to keep you moving out in the parking lot. Now, once the cattle get out in the parking lot, if you want to moo and graze out there together, I can't do anything about that. But you know, that comes naturally to us, doesn't it? And until all this stuff happened, I'd really not, th I'd really not thought about the value of that in my life. I miss that. I can't believe I miss your faces. But right now, as I look at these masks, at least I can see your eyes. That's the most important for me to read from you. But I'll be glad when you're able to pull those coverings away. Because I've never thought about, hey, the very face and heart of each person is what I value so much. And what we're going to see unfold is Job's remarkable moment when the things that really, really matter to him, it's out of loss, all the things that he's lost, that he's able to start to really see what's important to him. Now, when it comes to Zophar, as we read these verses, I want you to understand that Zophar is going to have the right doctrine, but he is not going to have the right spirit. He has a totally wrong spirit. When we read these verses, you're going to hear this out of his, his speaking into Job. He's going to speak truth, but the problem with Zophar is he's not going to speak truth in love. And Zophar is going to communicate all about justice. He believed in justice, but he was not much of a person of real compassion. 
And so as we read his words, you'll understand that there's a time for justice. We all know that, but there's also a time for comfort. Job chapter 11. Grab it and read it with me. Go and look in verse number 2. Here's what God's word says. Only a sample, then we've got to move on to the next chapter. Here's what Zophar said, Job chapter 11, beginning in verse number 2. Are all these words to go unanswered? It's like these three friends have been unloading on Job, and Zophar says, Man, Job, you had not had much to say. I mean, have you heard us? Have you listened to us? He, he goes on in verse 2 and says, Is this talker to be vindicated? Will your idle talk reduce, he says, others to silence? Will no one rebuke you when you mock? Look in verse 5. Oh, how I wish that God would speak to disclose and know this, God has even forgotten some of your sin, down in verse number 6. You see what Zophar is unloading on Job. Job, man, you just think you're in a bad situation. God has the right and should unlevel even more on you because, Job, you're a sinner. You would never be in this situation apart from some secret hidden sin in your life. I mean, again, Zophar doesn't know the behind the scenes of the test case between Satan and God himself. Job does not know that. We as believers, several thousand years later, are able to know that. But they certainly did not know that. And really, what he's saying is you're guilty. Look down in verse number 7. Zophar is going to tell him something else. Look how harsh he gets in verse 7. Not only are you a sinner and you're guilty in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6 in that section, but you're ignorant. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> hey, Job, with everything you got going, let me tell you something. Man, you are just ignorant. Look in verse 7. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe, uh, probe the limits of the Almighty? Job, you're not the sharpest tack in the room. And he doesn't stop there, does he? Look down in verses 12 and 13. There he's going to talk about how stubborn Job is. And again, Zophar leveling one challenge after another. But the, but the witless can no more become wise than a donkey's colt can be born human. Verse 13, if you devote your heart to him and stretch out your hands to him. Again, just a picture of how harsh a reality that Zophar is speaking in the life of Job. Man, he is getting, getting after it. And just a sample. I think you've got the feeling. I think you've got the picture. Now let's look in chapter 12, and I want to show you these three things that Job does. And again, just a sample from each chapter. First of all, in chapter 12, follow along with me, Job is going to declare something. Job now is finally going to respond to these three friends, Zophar, the last one to speak. So we find ourselves over there in chapter 12, and he is going to describe something first. Then he's going to declare. We'll get to that in a moment. But look at the description that he gives in chapter number 12. And let's just scroll down for the sake of time to verse number 7 and following. Job chapter 12, beginning in verse 7. Look at, look at what Job is going to describe first to his friends. Verse 7, but ask the animals. What Job is going to do is he's going to launch an all-out assault here, not focusing on his problems, but focusing on God's incredible sovereignty and his might. And he's going to start with this picture of the animals, verse 7. But just ask the animals, and they will teach you. He says, or for instance, ask the birds in the sky, and they'll tell you. 
Look in verse 8. Or why don't you speak to the earth and it will teach you just out of the very nature? Or, hey, let's go out there in the sea, in the oceans, he says, and let's let the fish in the sea inform you. The fish know the truth. Verse 9. Which of these does not know that the hand of God has done this? Verse 10. And in this, the hand, uh, in, in his hand, is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. He begins by just saying, hey, even an animal recognizes the true creator and the sovereignty of God. I don't know about you, but how comforting is this in the midst of this COVID mess that you and I are walking through, living through, trying to sustain ourselves through. I mean, to know that in spite of all that crazy chaos in the world, our God is sovereign and true. Can I hear an amen? In the midst of all that. And Job is just saying, hey, I know my life has been afflicted with some very unusual plagues, some craziness, things that I've never seen happen in such epic proportion before, but yet I know in my heart God's sovereignty, and even the animals can testify about that. Look down in verse 15. He makes a statement about the very nature that we live in, even the very natural wonders around us as he's describing. He says this in verse 15. If he holds back the waters, there's drought. If he, if he lets them loose, then they devastate the land. Just a statement to let us know about Job's heart. He is reflecting now on God's sovereignty, the animal kingdom, God's mighty hand in terms of nature. But look a little further in this chapter. At maybe one of the greatest verses. Look down in verse number 17. Something important for us all to remember. He also speaks about God's sovereignty among people. And especially among the leaders of nations. Now we may think today. That certain leaders. Are all powerful. I just want to remind you that our God has complete control. He sets the world leaders up. And he takes them down. Never forget that. That's why one of our prayer groups in our church continue to push our church to pray for our leadership in this nation. Every single day we should pray for our national leaders, state leaders, local leaders, world leaders. Praying for them. Understanding that it's our God that has the sovereignty over them. It doesn't matter what kind of nuclear arsenal a nation may put together. Our God is supreme. Amen? It does not matter what kind of wealth one nation may amass over another. Our God is supreme. And Job just speaks into that picture in verse 17. Listen to what he says. He leads rulers away, stripped in nakedness, in other words, and makes fools of judges. Those in authority. Look down in verse 21. He pours contempt on nobles, and he disarms the mighty. Job first begins to describe something out of his response. He wants his three friends to recognize that even in the heartbreak of what he's experiencing, the misery, the sorrow, that my God is still supreme. Can you say that today? Whether you're worshiping there at home with us or here in our worship center today, I mean, can you say that in your heart of hearts today? Our God is supreme. He's supreme in my life. He's supreme in my circumstances. He's supreme in my marriage. He's supreme in my home. 
He's supreme on the job site, wherever I may go. My God is supreme. Job describing something. Now quickly, just a sample from chapter 13. Job doesn't just describe something in chapter 12, but he's going to declare something in chapter 13. Look at that with me, beginning in verse number 2. He's going to declare two things in chapter 13, just a sample. First, he's going to, he's going to declare his disdain for his friends. Look in verse 2. What you know, I also know. I am not inferior to you. I guess old Job has just had enough, hasn't he? If you tell someone they're worthless long enough, finally they'll... I guess, come out. They'll speak to that. And Job has had enough. He said, you know, I don't know what you, you guys think that you have over me or your knowledge surpasses mine, but I just want you to know, verse 2, th there's not an inferior. I may be pus-filled right now. I may be heartbroken right now. But my value before God is no less or greater than yours, even though you've attempted to place me in, in this inferior position. Job goes on. In fact, skip down to verse uh, number 4 with me. You, however, smear me with lies. You are worthless physicians. Really, it's, it's our word diagnosis there uh, out of the Hebrew language. It's, it's really uh, the best English word they could, could really translate there as a physician, one that looks at a particular situation and makes a diagnosis of, here's what I think it is, here's what the friends are doing. And he says, it's out of this, you smear me. Your response, it's not an answer, it's a smear campaign. All of you, he says, all three, look at the end of verse 4. Now go back to verse 3. But I all, he says, I desire to speak with the Almighty and to argue my case before God. I've got no consolation and no true answers from you three guys. I look forward to hearing from God himself. What an amazing moment. He just declares his disdain for them. But look down in verse 12. He does the second thing in this chapter. He offers up his dependence on God. Look in chapter 12. Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. I don't know about you. You know I'm a little different. Go ahead and say amen. But at this moment, I, could, I just think, I just believe that Job takes his hand there in that ash heap and mourning, been scraping himself with that pottery. I think what he's saying is he's, he's filtering those ashes out through his fingers. I think as he says in verse 12, your proverbs are just like ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. They're not lasting. Just a storm will wash them around. They're a feeble attempt. Look in verse 13. Now keep silent and let me speak. I've heard enough. Man, I've had that happen in the last few weeks of my own life. You know, sometimes groups, people, individuals, we all try to be nice, we try to be kind. But in my life, after several weeks of hearing junk, I finally came to that place to hear just recently in my own life. Shh. Been listening to this for weeks. Now it's my time to speak. I've heard all of this other stuff, but now I'm going to speak. You be quiet because I've got something to say. Job sharing his heart. Job showing his. Look how it's moving to this dependence in verse 13 on God. Keep silent, let me speak, and then let come to me what may. Look in verse 14. Why do I put myself in jeopardy and take my life in my hands? 
And then, oh, wow, here's one of the big five. Remember, I told you as we go through Job, these five big moments. Here's one of the big five verses. One of the epic verses out of the book of Job. Look in verse 15. Though he slay me, though he kill me, though I die, he says, yet I will hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. Although I'm not a perfect, sinless man, I just want God to know in my defense, I don't know why all these things happen, but I've been trying to walk faithfully after him, blameless and upright, following him the best that I possibly can. And again, Job just comes to that moment in verse 15, out of this very profound moment, and just says, even if he takes my life, I'm still going to be faithful to him. Look down in verse 18. Job wraps this chapter up by saying, Now that I have prepared my case, I know I'll be vindicated. As I begin to lay this out, Job declares something. He describes something. Now quickly, the last sample, chapter 14. Turn there with me. And we're going to see now that Job really desires something. And can I just say, these next 11 minutes and 20 seconds are really what I wanted to just speak into your heart more than anything else today. I just spend so much of my life in this arena. I want you to be able to know in those last few few breaths of your existence, I want you to know with some certainty and some assurance what the outcome of the next step after death is going to be. And so it's out of this very desire that Job begins to speak to God. I want you to hear how personal it is. Up until this moment, even though he's still communicating in front of his friends, you'll notice the direction and the tone begin to change when you come to Job chapter 14. It's not so much like his friends always talking about God. Job spends so much time talking to God. And even though they're a witness, Job now begins to ask the ultimate questions of life, the questions about the brevity of life and the complexity of life, he begins to offer those. Look in verse 1, just a sample, we've got to hurry. He says, mortals, chapter 14 of the book of Job, mortals born of woman are a few days and full of trouble. They spring up like flowers and they wither away like fleeting shadows and they do not endure. We began to kind of see that picture of the annual it springs up, it does good for a few weeks, and then it just uh, kind of, it just phases out. Weather, longevity of its life. I love plants. I have a lot of plants in my backyard. And in, in about middle part of June, it'll be the time for me to pull all of those plants out because those early May plants that we, fla- that we planted to bring color and pop to the backyard, those things will just run their life cycle. They're just short annual flowers. So out they'll come, and another group that'll come in mid to late June, and they'll carry us down into September. And then as the weather begins to change, they too shall die. And then those old pots will just sit out there vacant for month after month until the whole cycle starts again. You notice the plant cycle he mentions. Did you notice the word shadow? He's reflecting. He's thinking through about how brief 
life really is. And that the old, the concept of old as we age begins to hit hard. Look down in verse 7. At least there's hope for a tree, he says. It's cut down. But you know what he says? It, it, it sprouts again. And its new shoots will not fail. You go in and you cut that tree down and, and those roots below the surface are still surviving. They're still alive. And just with a little moisture, they begin, you'll see a new fresh shoot. Look in verse number 9. And, and the scent of water, it'll bud and it'll put forth shoots like a plant. It's an incredible moment that he comes to. The finality of death. And he's just asking God, God... The question that we all need to know. We, we, I mean, we all ponder this. The reality of this moment. Is there any hope for me? And then look in verse number 10. But a man dies. He's laid low. He breathes his last. And is no more. And that prompts Job to ask the question. Some in scholarship would suggest this is the biggest question in all the book. Debatable. But we've got to say it too is in the big five. In verse number 14, what a profound question. If someone dies, will they live again? Pretty simple question. Shall a man, shall a woman, shall a child that dies, will they live again? How important is it that you and I know the answer? I would just suggest to you that if we do not, it can drive us crazy. And how do we know as we seek this answer with certainty? And I know there are going to be much more academic reasons and we can pull up all kinds of much better of the feeble attempt that I'm about to share with you, but as I mentioned to you when we started this message, this is intensely personal for me. Because almost on a weekly basis, some family will ask, Pastor, do you really think that Papa's in heaven? I mean, really, Pastor. Almost always people will pull you aside. They won't ask in the family meeting. They won't ask over here in Raider in the big group. They'll ask you outside at the bed of a pickup truck. They'll ask you several weeks after. They'll ask you in the hospital room or just outside. They'll ask you almost always individually, not corporately. Pastor, can we just ask you this question? Do you really now? Do you really think there's a heaven? An afterlife? And can I just share with you for me personally why I am so set and certain for just me personally. Maybe it'll be a help and benefit to you. I believe this, this afterlife and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to take us upon the moment of our death unto himself First of all, I anchor that belief with everything that I know and stand for and represent in my heart and life because of the words of Jesus. Just because of the very words that our Lord spoke about this. You remember John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said, I am the what? I am the resurrection and the life. That's a significant statement. But what you don't hear 
In fact, some of you have never heard anyone speak about this in a message of this type. And why, I don't know. Because one of the crucial moments when it comes to Jesus' words came in a moment when Jesus was just casually doing ministry. I guess if you could say he did anything casually. just seemed like a normal day. And these Sadducees approach him. Remember Sadducees, Pharisees, the distinction. Sad, sad you see. Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. They were one of the muckety-mucks, upper echelon groups. They come to Jesus with this trap. They have this woman that's been married some odd seven times, and they ask the Lord Jesus, Hey, Lord Jesus, when this lady dies, and she is in this resurrection that you've been speaking about, remember Sadducees don't believe in that, that was a trick question. They said, well, who is her recognized husband going to be in this afterlife that you speak of? It was a trap. It was a trick question. And Jesus spoke in Luke chapter number 20, Verse 37, and Jesus to answer them said, But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. For he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And then Jesus said this, He is not the God of the dead, but our God is the God of the living. For in Him... We're all alive. Now folks, I I don't know if that's weighed in on your heart yet. (laughs) But out of that trap and out of that trick, we see the essence of Jesus' true heart and His words. When someone dies, like Moses, like Abraham, like Isaac, like Jacob a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, even upon their physical death, our Lord does not see them. He experiences them with Him in life. I think about that simple moment up on that cross when Jesus looked over to that thief and said, Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. I don't apologize to you today or apologize to anybody in this world, but the words of Jesus give me great comfort in knowing that at the moment of my expiring from this world, wherever it may be, I trust, first of all, His words. That's just His heartbeat. That's who He was over and over and over. I also believe this because Jesus demonstrated great power over death Himself. He's walking into one town... And here's a funeral procession going out. They're carrying one of the traditional pallets with the remains on top about to put this individual in the ground, which tells us in early biblical history, this person has been dead for a period of time. And the Lord Jesus speaks, touches, and life comes out. Not only of... Jairus' daughter, a 12-year-old girl that's been dead for many days, but also in the very child of the widow Nain. But maybe the greatest moment, when our Lord and Savior wept as a human being, looking at the very grave place of His close, close friend Lazarus, only to speak Him again to come forth. You see, there's something that we cannot refute about the power that Jesus had over death. 
not just one kind of mystical moment, but a pattern of life two, three times, and that's just what we're aware of. His words mean something to me. His actions and how he demonstrated over death. And of course, we've got to say his own personal resurrection speaks to us. The moment that our Lord overcame death. I mean, how can we even minimize that? But can I just share with you something that as God has just spoken into my heart? My part of my assurance, as great as these things are, come out of just my own homesickness for heaven. You know, I guess we all come to the point in our life, somewhere along life's journey, to start to recognize anytime someone dies, really in a sense, everyone's life is a little bit incomplete. The best and the most talented. So thankful to see the Den Home family. Aren't you glad to see them here in our presence today? Man, we've been praying for them, loving on them. Boy, they walked through some tough days. Speaking at Mike Denholm's service here just a few days ago, I don't know that I've ever really stood at a memorial service to speak over a better man than Mike Denholm. And I've done hundreds of services. Hundreds! He's one of the best. But I think if we could speak to him today, he would even recognize and admit that, you know... Even the best and the most talented, when we come to the end of our life, we're all going to recognize, you know what? There's a little bit of work that just went undone. A few dreams just didn't quite get fulfilled. Every one of us is probably going to recognize just in, in, in a quick moment, you know, there were some gifts that we always wanted to, we always wanted to rebuild the engine. We always wanted to do this. We always intended to do that. The, even the best of the best. There's going to be in every one of our hearts that essence that, you know what, even, I mean, we all have done some foolish things that have set us back, and we've made some choices that have been the wrong choices that put us on the wrong path. We're going to come to the conclusion, you know, as we look around this world, and maybe this whole pandemic has brought us even more to that moment, that, you know, hey, this world's really not that safe a place. Doesn't matter what part of Longview you live in. It doesn't really matter how great the police are. Really, this world's not that safe a place. You, you, you think that's why the psalmist wrote in Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, Show me, show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You may have made my days a mere handbreadth, the span of my life as nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. I would just suggest to you that you and I have a homing agent inside of our hearts. Somewhere inside of each one of us, there is that desire at some point to go be with our Lord. You think that's what the wisest man outside the Lord Jesus, who's ever lived, that's what our Bible says, King Solomon said, you know what, and God has set eternity into our hearts. You remember how Paul tried to describe that? Not nearly with the eloquence that Solomon did. Paul just tried to echo these words. He said, to be away from this body is to be what? Home with the Lord. And I just wondered today, just wonder, in the inevitable hour of the open grave, in the breaking up of your family and the dissolution of the circle, 
And in the darkness, in the presence of the pale visitor when he arrives for your life, as we peer into that darkness of the grave and ask the question that Job asked, shall a man, a woman, a young person, a child, shall they live again? And what I would suggest to you is that the underlying hope in the heart of mankind that somewhere, somehow, sometime that you and I are going to live in a better place and that we're going to have a better life. That's universal in all of our hearts and it's never going to die. And could it be that Job's question brings each of us a little closer to being able to answer the question and understand this, that really life and death are one. Just as the river and the sea are one. As our life ends, as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that future is set into a much greater sea of eternity. Would you pray with me this morning? As we pray, I just want to let those that are watching today know that this was an incredible moment in this place of worship today. The focus, the attention. And I'm just going to voice a prayer for us all. Maybe you're here today and you've asked that very question before. Will we live again? Maybe today you're wrestling with a situation of death somewhere in the past. Obviously not yours, but someone that you've loved and cared about. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you for these moments that we've had in your word. Thank you for these worshipers that have come today. Thank you for the worshipers that are watching from some other location today. Help them as only you can, Holy Spirit, understand the great value of their life right there in a remote location. For those of us that are gathered partially as a church family together today in this place, I thank you for the value of each life in this place of worship. Father, we just lift you up today. We're so thankful for your resurrection. We're thankful for your words. And we're thankful for those moments when you just spoke out of death, life. Father, I thank you for the heart the feeling in our hearts that drive us and compel us to think more and more about that moment that we're going to be with you. Father, bring us to the place that the uncertainties begin to fade away, the doubts begin to diminish, and that out of the power of your word, I am the resurrection. That we can, from a historical context, believe that we can, from a theological context, believe that even our trust will extend into the very physical brokenness of this world, knowing that upon my departure, 
away and away I'll go with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for those healthcare workers today that are much like the, the job that I'm called forth to do, to just deal with that moment of death. I pray that over a period of time of seeing one life expire after another, they will not diminish in their belief and faith than another one into eternity, a new place of surrender. But Father, we know that our destiny in eternal life is clarified and directed by one mode and one mode only, and that is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. For those that have put their faith in Him, trusted Him for life ahead, moved beyond their sin, like Job, not necessarily in a perfect, sinless life, but in a life that's anchored out of forgiveness and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank You for Your words that in You we can be saved if we will believe. For God has loved this world, and for those that believe in Him, they will be saved. So, Father, for that parting, for that moment, would you bring each and every one of us back to that very question, have we placed our faith in Jesus? Just as you stretched out your arms and said it's done, can we echo those words with our faith commitment in you? It is done. I have given my life in total surrender to Jesus. So, Father, in the moment as we depart from this place, We go out into a world that is messed up, that's struggling, that's challenged. But we don't do so without the assurance of knowing that in the end, the answer is yes. We shall live again. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your New Testament body, one after another in Jesus Christ, the church. Father, we pray for your immense healing of our world, our land, our country, our state, our city, our neighborhoods, our families, our hearts. Do your work in us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.